Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And for the young guys,、um, follow along with what's projected because the Bible with actual words is more important to read. And then you have these books.、Uh, there's no page numbers, but if you look at it, says Acts chapter 3, Wonder of Wonders, right? That's where we are in the book of Acts. But that's meant to, that's meant to、uh, just help you understand the main thing, which is what's on the screen, okay? So, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. This is God's word.、Uh, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. And as we hear from your word, as we、uh, look at the book of Acts, I, I do pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the same kind of wonder and amazement、uh, that、um, people reacted to. With in this,、um, uh, in this book.、Um, maybe the one thing that we、uh, struggle with is having a, an appropriate sense of wonder and awe for who you are and for your power. And so I pray that as we hear your word, you would, by your Holy Spirit,、uh, convict us of、uh, your presence, your power,、uh, your love, and we would respond with awe and wonder because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are going through the book of Acts. And <clears throat> what we've been seeing in the book of Acts is we've been seeing how the Holy Spirit, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, and it kind of signals like this new age. It's the age of the church. And when the Holy Spirit comes, a lot of amazing things happen, but also s- some strange things start to happen. So if you remember, like one of the strange things that happen is people are speaking in other tongues, but. They're able to understand one another. And as Pastor Fred was saying, it's like this reversal of the curse of Babel from Genesis chapter 11. Then he, Peter preached a sermon explaining what was going on, and about 3,000 people were cut to the heart. They repent and they're baptized. And in today's passage, so there's a lot of firsts going on as we go through the book of Acts. In today's passage, this is actually the first healing miracle, not in the Bible, but in the New Testament. This is a Well, actually, not in the New Testament because Jesus did a lot of healing, but in, in the early church. This is the first healing miracle in the early church. And next week,、uh, what we're going to see is Peter giving a kind of speech or a sermon, maybe,、um, explaining this miracle. So today we're going to look at the miracle. I think I anticipate next week will be more about what Peter says about this miracle. In this passage, what you have is you have a man who was born lame. And what that means is he couldn't use his legs, he couldn't walk. And in the next chapter, what we also learn about this man is he was 40 years old. That's, that's how old I am. So for 40 years, he was born 
uh, without ab being able to walk, without being able to use his legs. So for 40 years, uh, this, this man is lame. And just imagine back then, they didn't have uh, modern technology. They didn't have like these modern wheelchairs that we oftentimes have today. And so if you're lame and if you can't walk, you're de you have uh, very little independence to do anything on your own, and you, you literally have to be carried everywhere. So every day, this man, he would be carried, and he would be laid at the gate of the temple so that he could beg for money. He couldn't go into the temple. You know why he couldn't go into the temple? Because in Jewish law, there's like this uh, strange law in the book of Leviticus where uh, if, if you're lame, right, if you're not able to use your legs, uh, you're considered somebody with a blemish and you wouldn't be allowed to go into the temple. So this lame man would just be laid in front of the gate of the temple and all he could do is beg for money. He wasn't capable of doing anything else except begging for money. And so he would go there every single day at the temple gate and because he was there every single day, I imagine like people would know him, people would recognize him. They would say, oh, there's the lame man begging for alms again, right? He's here every day doing that. In New York City, if you take the same route to like wherever you go every day, then uh, maybe you've had this experience where you kind of start to recognize the same people. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of homeless folks in, in New York City. So maybe you start to recognize the same folks who are asking for money because they tend to frequent the same location. So uh, for our family, um, you know, our kids go to school uh, in Manhattan on the Upper West Side, so we're always driving through the Lincoln Tunnel. And after we get out of the tunnel, right, we always pass the same guy holding the same sign as we exit the Lincoln Tunnel. And it's kind of like, oh, like we know who he is now because we just see him every day. We, re we recognize him. Uh, when I was a kid and my parents, uh, we would drive to Jersey City. To, that's where their grocery store was. Uh, I remember getting off the Pulaski Highway and the same man, like every time we would drive, the same man would be at that same right, exit when we would exit the Pulaski Skyway and he would have the same sign. And I still remember that sign, even though that was as a child. The sign said, I'm not a Mooney, spare a dollar, right? And even as a child, I, I still remember that because I was like, I was thought to myself, what is a Mooney? I don't know what a Mooney is. So after years of driving, I finally asked my parents, I look at the sign and I, I go, uh, what's a Mooney? And they said, well, it's a reference to like this religious cult started by a Korean guy named Sun Young, Sun, Sun Young Moon. And this man in uh, the book of Acts who's lame, always asking for alms at the gate that is called the beautiful gate, I think he probably would have been recognizable in that way because he was always there begging for money. Now, imagine that person that you pass by every day, all of a sudden, you see this person no longer lame, no longer lying down, no longer begging for money. But now all of a sudden you see this person walking, not just walking, but it says in this passage, he's leaping and praising God. How would you react uh, to witnessing an event like that? How would you react to witnessing a miracle like that? I think you'd see a couple of different reactions. I think some people would be like simply amazed just like people were amazed at this passage. They, they would say, whoa, I can't believe it. This person who hasn't walked for 40 years since birth can all of a sudden walk? That miracle? That's amazing. Some people probably be a little bit skeptical, right? And say, ah, is this like some kind of magic trick? Is this kind of like an illusion? Uh, was this lame man like faking to be lame 
for his entire four years just to just to get money, right? So we would kind of, especially New Yorkers, would have like the skeptical reaction, like, eh, did that really happen? Uh, I, but I thought about maybe how some of us would, would react in that moment, and I also think there would be this reaction. I think some of us, if we witnessed something like this, I think we'd be a little bit freaked out, <laughs> right? Uh, here's why. Because if we see something like a, a miracle like that, uh, here, here's a reality that would hit us. Something we know in our heads, but the reality is not always real to us. We would say, whoa. God is real. Not only is he real, but God is powerful, right? And you say, ah, yeah. of course I know God is real. Of course I know God is powerful. It's one thing to know it in our minds, but it's another thing to experience that reality firsthand. And when we aren't confronted by the reality of God, meaning like in our minds we know he's real, but then we don't actually live as if he's real, uh, it's very easy to deprioritize him, right? Uh, we have ways where we can easily ignore God and kind of choose the path that aims to please ourselves and our, our sense of comfort and our desire for status and wealth rather than maybe choosing the path that we know God wants us to walk, a path of worship, a path of sacrifice, a path of loving our neighbor. And what happens is we start to allow ourselves to be formed as people, not by the presence and the reality of God, but then we start being formed by the absence of God and kind of ignoring the reality of God becomes the norm for us. And I think that's how we actually end up in a place of looking at Christianity as like fulfilling a, a set of religious duty rather than this authentic relationship with God, right? When we get to chapter four, you're gonna see how uh, that's actually how the Jewish rulers and the elders and the scribes, they react to this miracle. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to me that the cause of the first persecution of the church arises not because of the apostles' teaching and preaching per se, but it actually arises because of this miracle. Uh, they tried to suppress Peter and John from talking about the power of Jesus because people were so amazed by this healing miracle, and they were afraid that uh, as people were so amazed by this healing miracle, the gospel is going to spread, and so they wanted to suppress Peter and John from talking about it, from teaching about it, and I suspect it's because the reality of Jesus' power for them in that moment, do you know what it would do to them? It would completely alter and change their way of thinking, their way of living, their understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, and they would have to make some radical changes in their life because everything that they believed would all of a sudden be put into question, right? And that's not an easy place to be. That's a scary proposition. And so similarly, if you are the kind of person that doesn't really live in view of uh, the fact that God is real, and not only is he real, but God is actually very powerful, I think a miracle like this might freak you out a little bit, right? But it shouldn't freak us out. A healing miracle like this should actually greatly encourage us, and I'll tell you why, and we'll spend the rest of our time discussing why a miracle like this would be incredibly encouraging. First, uh, let's talk about what healing miracles like this are meant to communicate to us, okay? In verse 8, after Peter tells this lame person to rise up and walk, Luke says this, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the word I actually want to highlight here is the word leap. Okay, Luke is very explicit. Like, I mean, he's a historian, so he, maybe this guy actually did, like, leap. But people also recognize that the fact that this lame man was leaping uh, also points to something that the 
Hebrew prophets talked about. Uh, in our call to worship, we looked at Isaiah 35, and I said, Isaiah 35, it gives a picture of what would happen when God brings restoration to the world. It has pictures of wilderness being glad. It has a picture of, like, think about a desert with, like, no agriculture. It has a picture of the desert blossoming. It also says there's going to be joy and there's going to be singing. And then in 35.6, it says this, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. If you're a Jewish person at the, at the time, you would probably be familiar with this scripture from Isaiah 35 and the imagery of God's work bringing restoration to the world. That's probably something you grow up learning. When Peter gives a sermon in the next passage, he refers to how Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets said. And so as amazing as it is for this lame man to be healed and to leap, what's actually even more amazing is what this healing is telling us what it's pointing to. It's a sign that redemption and restoration has begun, that God's plan to restore the world, to bring salvation into the world, it has begun and it's fulfilled in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. We tend to think of miracles as something maybe that works outside of the natural order uh, of what we're used to. And so if someone is healed outside of the intervention of modern medicine, which I should also say, if someone is healed with the intervention of modern medicine, that's from God too, right? That's God working providentially. But if somebody is healed working outside of the intervention of modern medicine, then uh, the way we would probably interpret that is we, we would say something like, well, that, that's just subverting like natural law, the natural realm of things. But I think that's the wrong way to think about it. The way we should actually understand a miracle is we should understand it as the restoration of the natural order. Because how, the way God created the world, God's intention for the world, God's intention for us, God's intention for our bodies is that it's meant to be whole. This man's lame condition is actually unnatural in terms of God's intention. This is not the way his body was meant to be. Anyone who is blind, anybody who is crippled, anybody who has cancer, anybody who has Alzheimer's, these are not the natural state because that is not how God intended us to be. Disease, death, these are actually subverting the natural order. Uh, these are actually intruders in God's world. And so when a healing takes place, it's not suspending the natural order, but it's a picture of what it looks like when God restores that order again. God restores the body. God restores the world through the power of the resurrection. It's an advanced look in terms of what we can expect to happen at the final resurrection at the end of history. Now, it is only natural to ask, well, do these miracles happen today? And if you haven't seen anything like that, then it's kind of like, well, is the Bible just kind of making something up? And a completely natural question to ask. Uh, there is this book by Francis McNutt on healing. And I, d I haven't read many books on healing, but this is one of them, and it was a, it was a very helpful book to me. Francis McNutt, he was actually a former Catholic priest, and he was born with a lot of intellectual gifts. So he graduated from Harvard. His intention was to go to medical school, become a doctor. But then uh, he had to, uh, his studies got interrupted by the war. He was in the army. He served in like the surgical department in the army. Uh, he returned, and he decided to actually become an ordained priest in the Catholic Church. So eventually he went on to earn his PhD in theology very intellectually gifted person. And he was, you know, he was a typical Catholic priest for, for about 11 years in the ordained ministry. 
and he would say uh, when someone was sick and someone would ask for uh, him to, to pray for them, uh, he, he actually recounts this one story. Somebody said, oh, I'm sick. Can you come to my house and pray for me? And he said he, he didn't do it, right? <laughs> and the reason he didn't do it is uh, he was like, oh, man, this person's going to be incredibly disappointed when I pray for them and they're not healed. So he's like, I know they're disappointed that I didn't visit his house to heal him, uh, but he's going to be more disappointed when I pray and he doesn't get healed. So that's, that's how he explains himself in like the first 11 years of his ordained ministry. Uh, then he attends this conference. It's actually a, a Catholic conference, and he has like this powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. And he starts to see and he starts to learn uh, about these incredible stories of healing and that moment was a watershed moment for him, and he begins to shift his focus of ministry now towards healing prayer. And so that's kind of like one of the things that he's known for in terms of his ministry, and he wrote this book on healing. And <clears throat> in this book, he also talks about David Wilkerson. If you're not familiar with David Wilkerson, uh, he's the guy that started Times Square Church. David Wilkerson was a pastor during a time where Times Square was not what it is today, uh, it was a dangerous place. Nobody want. Actually, I, th I don't think any of us like want to be in Times Square even now because it's like all tourists. But for other reasons, right? Nobody wanted to go to Times Square back in the day. And so uh, he, what he primarily did is he primarily ministered to folks on the street. So he would minister to like gang members and prostitutes and drug addicts. And one of the things that he did on the streets was he prayed for healing for those who were addicted to drugs. Now. Not everybody was healed when he prayed for them, but a significant number of people were healed of their addiction. And what this ended up turning out to be was this powerful testimony of the power of Jesus. So not only were the addicts like completely convicted and convinced that not only is Jesus real, but he's powerful because he healed me, but even those who knew the addicts and saw the transformation that took place, uh, they were also convinced, wow, Jesus is real and Jesus is powerful. And it was this healing ministry that led to the establishment of Times Square Church, which is like a you know, pretty sizable church today. But that's, that's how it started with Dave Wilkerson. Now, does this mean that everybody was healed? No, not everybody was healed, and only God knows the reasons for why that is. Uh, when we pray for healing <coughs> for people, does everybody get healed? No, not everybody gets healed. And again, only God knows um, why that is. You know, for a long time, uh, I have like this chronic neck pain and shoulder pain and <clears throat> you know there would be like some days I guess I would come to church and I would be like stiff and like walking like this right and Pastor John the previous pastor would always see he's like you okay I was like oh no my neck is hurting today right he would always pray for me right and it never worked I never felt better after that <laughs> and then he would he would always joke he's like like his, his comment he has the same jokes right so he would always joke I was like Pastor John it didn't work and then he would say it did work because if I didn't pray for you, you'd be worse. <laughs> right, now, <clears throat> who knows, right? Sometimes we pray for healing and sometimes God doesn't heal, but that doesn't mean that God never heals. And if we never actually try it, if we never actually pray for healing, then we'll actually, right, we're automatically shutting the door to seeing uh, God healing people. So I guess what I'm saying is, uh, if it doesn't happen, don't be discouraged because the ultimate healing comes at the resurrection, at the end of time. But be open. If God is real and God is powerful, he should have the power to heal, and he can heal. Now, um, <clears throat> at that time, Square Church, I said many people were healed. It served a very, as a very direct way 
two people in terms of offering the kind of proof of the reality and the presence of God. Uh, a similar story, you know, this past week I just met with a, a pastor in Brooklyn, and he started his church kind of in a similar fashion. So um, this is a very powerful story. I hope one day you all get to meet him. I hope like maybe one day he can come and, and speak for us. But he and his wife were homeless for about two years, okay? And he was just kind of talking about that experience of being homeless for two years. And uh, he said, when we, were, when we were homeless for two years, we were like sleeping in a car. And this other uh, homeless guy saw them and they were cold. So the homeless guy gave them his sheet so that they could be warm. And he's like still emotionally moved by that. Like, whoa, this, like this guy who had nothing gave us his blanket because we were cold. And he's telling this story and like the act of kindness really touched him. So, uh, you know, his perspective on like the homeless population, uh, you know, different because he lived it, but he also experienced kindness uh, from, from folks who were homeless. So he unintentionally actually started a church. So when he kind of got on his feet, he started a Bible study. And in this Bible study, he would just invite people who were living on the streets. He would invite them into his home, and he would do Bible study with them. And God did some amazing and powerful things to these people. Uh, and he was, like, telling me, yeah, the guy who's preaching uh, next week, like, he was addicted to, like, heroin. And the guy who's leading communion next week, he was addicted to something else, right? So, like, really powerful testimonies. And um, <clears throat> to this day, this church, uh, not a huge church by any stretch of the imagination, but they serve like almost a thousand homeless people every single week. And that's, that's like their primary ministry and what, uh, you know, what their heart is for. So it's, it's an incredible ministry. But he said something that um, really gave me a little bit of perspective. And we were just kind of talking about like the kinds of people like in our churches, his church, my church. And he said, you know, if I were to probably summarize the difference between folks in your church and folks in my church in terms of life experience, uh, he said it would probably be this. Uh, things like peace and stability and security and moments of happiness and joy, right? These things are probably more of the norm for folks in your church. And then when suffering and hardship comes, it's like it kind of comes like as a surprise. For my people, suffering and hardship, that's like the norm of life. That's just what their life is. Uh, insecurity, not knowing where they're going to get their next meal, not knowing where they're going to sleep at a certain night. That's, that's just the norm uh, of their life. And when, like, something good happens to them and, like, when something joyful happens to them, they're, they're like, surprised by that. They're like, whoa, <laughs> right? Now, uh, that's not necessarily, again, a knock on, on folks who tend to have stable, comfortable lives, but I think that is to say the power of the gospel hits a little bit differently for a person who has never felt safe and secure before. Um, and, you know, I told him, you know, I think people like me, we would probably learn a lot about what it is to trust in Jesus from the folks in your church because there is definitely a sense of desperation and a sense like you really need to trust Jesus for, uh, for your life that is probably has been refined like gold and uh, a kind of desperation that makes Jesus much more important uh, for folks in her, his church. Well, the man who was lame from birth and made a living out of begging people for money at the temple gate um, he, he's like, at, like the folks at this Brooklyn pastor's church, right? And it would be easy to look at this man with disdain uh, because of Jewish law. It would be <laughs> easy to look at this man maybe with even pity and say, oh, like what a poor guy. He's like, um, you know, his, his life is awful, right? He, he's 
got a miserable life. But I would suggest that we ought to look at this lame man not, um, not with pity and not with disdain. We should look at this lame man as a mirror to our own souls. I think that's the right way to look at him. This man is in desperate need, and what is he begging for? He is begging for money because he thinks that's what he needs, right? And it's completely natural. I have no money. I need to eat. I can't. I have no legs. I can't walk. I can't do anything. Please, give me money. And what Peter says to him is this. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, <clears throat> I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And what Peter shows us is that what this lame man wants, which is gold and silver, is not at the end of the day what he ultimately needs. Uh, now, by the way, I do think we should ourselves understand that we don't always know what we need. We think we know what we need, but we don't really know what we need, and we're usually the last people to understand that. Uh, we might think like, oh, I need this, uh, I need this video game, uh, or I need to buy this home, or I need this promotion, or uh, I need uh, more money, right? We, we kind of think along these lines. And then the long list is what we tell ourselves what we need, and we focus on it until it gradually becomes an idol, and then we begin to lean on it for salvation. Those are things that we may want, and it's okay to want these things, but at, in the final analysis, those are not the things that we really need. And when we feel like we need these things, our sense of need is ultimately what gets distorted. This layman thinks he needs gold and silver, but Peter says, look, I'm, I don't have that. I'm not going to give you that, but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you what you really actually need. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, what was this lame man given? Yes, he was given this miracle. He was given the ability to walk. But do you know what he was really given beyond just that? He was given a foretaste of the resurrection that only comes by way of faith in Jesus Christ. In the next passage, Peter makes that clear. He, he says, it was by faith in Jesus that has given this lame man perfect health. Peter attributes it to his faith. And so what was this lame man given more than uh, physical healing? He was given the gift of faith, which allowed him to experience the restoring power of the resurrection to come in that present life. And notice he was given something that he didn't even ask for because he didn't even know he needed it. And I think that is a wonderful picture of what grace actually is. When we look at this lame man, we should see ourselves, okay? He couldn't even imagine he could be healed in such a way. And that's how the gospel comes to us. We were so dead in our sin, in our trespasses, that we didn't even know how much we needed Jesus until he came and met us. We didn't even know how much we needed his salvation and his work on the cross until he opened our eyes to understand, to know deep in our hearts, to cut to our hearts that we need the cross that we need the salvation that he gives. And for some people, it only comes in a time of desperation. Uh, and for others, he opens our eyes to that desperation. And to think that even though we aren't enlightened enough to know uh, what we should want, God is so gracious that even when we don't recognize our need, he gives us what we need because he gave us his son. And it really is an astounding testimony 
of grace that's amazing, grace that we want to sing about. Uh, This man, you know what happens to him after he's healed? He goes into the temple. How appropriate, how symbolic that once he was forbidden from entering to the place where worship happens, where um, the presence of God is for the Jewish people, although not for the New Testament people, he's able to enter the temple. Why? Because he was healed, because he tasted the power of the resurrection, because he was restored, because he was given a faith that made him clean, because Jesus died on the cross that cleansed him of his sins. And that same work is for us today. And because of that, <coughs> uh, we will be healed. Will it be when we're living in, in, right, when we're 40, when we're 50? Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe not. But in the final resurrection, whatever we're struggling with, my neck will be healed. <laughs> You know, I got digestive issues. That will be healed. (laughs) Emotional pain, right? Trauma, right? The kind of inner healing we need. We will be healed. God is our healer, and he promises healing. And there are going to be those times where we pray for healing, and the power of the resurrection intrudes into this life, and we're going to see and experience that. So we should continue to pray for that and pray for healing but all of us will be healed. And this lame man, that's who we are, but even in his healing, that's who we will be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the power um, and the testimony of your resurrection. And, you know, maybe we've been too formed and shaped by, um, by the worldview around us and, um, you know, maybe we haven't really given thought to the fact that you are active and alive even today and that you can bring this power of the final resurrection to us uh, even now. And so maybe when we are sick or maybe when others are sick, um, you know, we never, we never pray for healing. Uh, when we struggle with, um, you know, emotional scars, um, when we struggle with uh, addictions, uh, other kinds of frustrations that we need to be healed from. Um, You know, if we never pray for healing, uh, I pray, God, that you would convict us of your power at this moment so that we would always turn to you and pray for that healing. God, give us uh, more testimonies of that power uh, if we struggle to know, knowing that you are really Uh, alive and um, we struggle to live in view of your reality and your power Um, there's nothing we can do to reach up to you uh, but you have to come down and uh, reach out to us and so I pray that you would be gracious to us and you would do that and you would help us to see your power be witnesses to that power that we might have deeper and greater conviction of who you are in Jesus name we pray Amen Mm -hmm.